There we go. Now I'm on. I like that. Oh, it's so good to be back. I'm glad to see everybody today. Um, I love that song. Don't you love that song? I just think that that is an absolute beautiful song. And, and, and here's the thing. You, to fully understand that song, there has to be that, that, that personal connection between you and God, right? I mean, if, if you're here today and, and you're, you're not even sure about the whole God thing and you're kind of struggling with the God thing, then and, and you, you sing that song, you're really not sure exactly what that means. But when you have a personal connection with God, whenever He is your personal Lord and Savior, and you come to that place where you understand that He is everything. He is the very breath that I take he is everything that I need, everything that I want. It is amazing how that happens. And, and I am so excited because today we get a chance to start a new series where my goal is really to pull people in or to, to I, I don't want to say convince because that's not a right, that's not the right word, but to at least expose in a way to help people to see that, that, that it really comes down to the fact that we serve a personal God. Now, before we get there, I, 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 want, I want to refer to something that is in your, your bulletins. Everybody, go ahead and pull out your bulletins there. And there should be a little booklet inside. It's a life group booklet. And what I encourage you to do is to take that home and to look through that. We have been talking about life groups for a long time, and, and we just produced this, this booklet. I'm excited about this booklet. This is a great chance for you to be able to explore and to learn what a life group is, how you can get involved in a life group, and then ultimately what we're doing in life groups. And uh, I'm excited about this because in some ways it's going to help to, to bring together all of the life groups so that we're all aiming in the same direction, in the same way, and doing things and doing ministry. But here's what I really Really want you to hear. If you're here today and you are not in a life group, please, please, please take out your, your connection card and fill it out. And on the back side, check, check the, the life group thing and we will get you plugged in. We'll, we'll, we'll ask you some questions. We may even see, you know, what day's best for you and things like that and what type of group you're looking for. And we'll see if we can get you connected because truthfully, this is great. This is a great place to start. But life is done in a circle. Life is done looking face-to-face -face with people. Life is done having an opportunity to ask questions about your faith and about the things that you struggle with. So I just encourage you to get involved in a life group. So like I said, I'm excited about starting this new series. We've entitled it Making It Personal. And basically what, what we're looking at is that we have a lot of people, maybe not this service, though I think that there's probably even some even in this service, who attend Valley, and they like Valley. They, they, they like the music, they like the people, they, they even are excited about the fact that every once in a while the preacher actually says something that's, that's good and keeps them awake and things like that. So I, I love that. But if I were to sit down with some of you and to ask you, you know, so where are you at with Jesus? Some of you would say, well, you know what? I, I don't know that I buy into the whole God thing. I don't know that I, that I fully agree that, that there is a God even yet. And if there is a God, I don't know that it's the God that you serve. So I'm really on the fence on this, but I love coming and I love hearing and I love singing and I love being a part of the situation, but I'm just really not sure. Well, here's the good news. Over the course of the next four weeks or the next month in, in the month of November, my goal, and I'm just going to tell you up front, my goal is to help you come to that place. If you're right on the edge and you're wondering, and you're thinking, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm searching, I'm seeking. My goal is by the end of the month that you will cross that line of faith and that you'll develop or you'll have a personal relationship with God. 
So that, that's kind of what we're aiming at. That, that's where we're going. And I am so excited about that, to have the opportunity to do that. And I know, I know if you're here today and you're struggling with that and, and you're, you're kind of going, oh, great. You know, I, I was told that this was a safe place to come and to just kind of explore faith. And then all of a sudden the preacher gets up and says, my goal for the next month is to get you to cross that line. I know that that's a struggle for everyone in, in the room. But, but here's the thing, here's the thing. And, and I, I want to define being a Christian at least in the simplest forms that I can. When I talk about becoming a Christian, I'm not talking about becoming a better person. Because I think sometimes that's what we think. In America, we kind of think that, you know, Christianity is about just becoming better, a better you. And it's really not about that. And I'm not talking about coming to the place to where you believe in God or you even believe in Jesus. Because the scripture tells us that, that, the, that, that even the demons believe in God and believe in Jesus, but they do it and tremble. So it's possible to believe and yet not have it affect you. See, my goal is to get it to a place to where you cross that line of faith and you surrender yourself to him. That he becomes your all in all. He is the air that you breathe. That's what I'm hoping is that we will get to that place and you will say, you know what? It just makes sense. It, 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 it's, it's obvious that God loves me, that he cares for me, and that he has been pursuing me. Now, if you're here today and you would say, well, you know what? Like I said, I'm really struggling with the whole God thing. And, and if I were to come over and sit down with you at your house and ask you, okay, so why, why, why are you struggling with God? Why are you struggling with Christ? you would have some real legitimate reasons, right? And, and some of you, maybe you're here today and it's not so much that you struggle with Christ. Maybe you've been a Christ follower for a long time, but you have family members or you have friends who are really struggling with the Christ question. You're, they're struggling with the God question. And, and, and if you were to sit down with them and you probably have, they have all kinds of, of, of objections, right? I mean, some of them, they, they may say, well, you know what? The reason that I'm not a Christian is because there is so much suffering and so much injustice in the world, right? I mean, how, how can you believe in a God and yet there be ISIS in the world? How can you believe in God and have a group of people who are cutting off other people's head? That just doesn't even make sense. How can you believe in a God and have evil and murder? And how can you have homelessness? How can you look at the situation that the world's in and believe in a God? And that's a legitimate concern. I get that. I understand that. And then some people, they would say, well, that's not necessarily my, my biggest struggle because I can understand the, the, the difference between some good and evil and, and all this struggle that's happening within the world. I, I get that. But the reason that I'm not a Christian is because, well, you know what? I, I, I know some Christians and they're just not real good advertisement for Christianity, right? Do you know some Christians that aren't very good advertisement for Christianity? It seems like every time that they, you get around them or somebody else gets around them, it's, it's kind of that situation where you're kind of, oh, please don't say that. Oh, please don't do that. And, and, and they're just not good advertisement. It's, it's almost like they're a hypocrisy on display, right? So that's part of the reason that some people don't come to the place of crossing the line and becoming a Christian. Another reason that people use, and, and they say part of the reason that I'm not a Christian is because, well, the exclusivity of Christianity, you know, the scripture seems to indicate, and whenever I go to church, they, people keep talking about the fact that Christ is the only way. Christ is the only way to God. Christ is the only way to heaven. Christ is the only way. And it's too exclusive for me. Last month, I was sitting, as a matter of fact, in this room, and we, we, we had a, a, a memorial service. And after the memorial service, we went downstairs into the fellowship hall, and I had the opportunity to sit at a table, and right next to me was a young man. And the young man kind of looks over at me and he says, and it was amazing because he's like 24 years old and he's so bold and so straightforward with, with, with his thought. And I really appreciated that in reality. He looked at me, he says, Pastor, I heard everything that you had to say. He says, but I just don't agree. 
And I said, okay, well, what do you not, not agree about? He said, I just have a difficult time really believing that Christ is the only way. Why is it that we can't be good enough to be able to earn the right to be with God and things like that? And, and I got that. Th those are objections. Those are real things that get in the way. Another reason that people struggle with, with Christianity or struggle with crossing that line of faith is because they read the Bible and they think to themselves, how is it that all of those miracles could happen? I mean, really an ax head floating? Really Jesus walking on water? How is it possible for that to really truly happen? And, and I, I, I get that as well. I understand. Some of you, the reason that you wouldn't cross that line of faith is because, well, mom and dad weren't Christians. And, 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 and they were, as a matter of fact, maybe they were a different faith. And, and there's something inside of you that says that if I cross the line of faith and, and I begin to trust Jesus and I begin to follow him, then I'm going to end up saying that everything that mom and dad believed was wrong. And I just can't do that. Several years ago when I was in Kazakhstan, I was there for six weeks. The guy who was, who was my interpreter, he and I, we, we, we went every, I mean, we'd spend eight to nine hours a day with one another. And, and, and I would go and I would share the gospel with people. I'd tell people why Jesus came and, and, and kind of just help people to understand a little bit about that. And I remember one day he came to me and he says, Lance, I just got to know, is, is all this stuff true? I said, man, I believe it's true. I, I, I believe that God has revealed himself to me in such a way. And I just trust that this is true. And he says, man. And then a couple of weeks later, I asked him, I said, so where are you at with all of this? And he, he was totally honest with me. He says, well, here's the struggle. I, I think, I, I believe it, and, and, and I can even feel God's presence in kind of drawing me. But my mom and dad, they're Muslim. And to walk away from all of that would be to say to mom and dad, you're wrong. And it's hard to cross that line. Some of you aren't Christians or some of your friends aren't Christians because, well, they just don't care. Right? I mean, I've never seen a, a, a big enough reason to become a Christian, which some of that goes back to the fact that you know Christians that, that aren't very good advertisement for Christianity. And you look at their lives and you think, well, I can be just as good as you. I can do the things that you're doing. So I get all, and, and that's just a few objections. Some of you, if, if I were to sit down with you, you'd have even more objections than that. And I get that. And to be able to stand up here and to tell you by the end of November, my goal, my hope is that you will cross that line of faith and that you will trust in a God that loves you, cares about you, and literally pursues you. For me to say that, I know that's a little naive, right? That, 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 that's that's kind of assuming an awful lot on my part because your questions they're legitimate. And, and, and they're the things that kind of hold you back. And, and there's a reason that you won't cross that line. But here's what I want you to know. Almost everybody that I know, and that includes most of the people that are in this room, and, and, and I know a lot of you, and I've, I've been a part of your story, your, your spiritual journey, and everything else. Almost everybody I know, they have all had questions just like you do. And, and here's the interesting thing. Their questions, whenever they came to know Jesus and they placed their trust in Jesus, their questions, they didn't come to him because all of their questions were answered. As a matter of fact, a lot of times what they did is they brought their questions with them. They didn't stand on the outside. It wasn't like God was a category and they were sitting there and they were trying to pick away at, you know, could this be true and how about this and things like that. But when they realized the personal nature of God, the personal nature of Christianity, when they came to the point and they understood this is different than religion. Do, do you understand that? 
Christianity is not a religion. Religion is where we ourselves try our hardest to reach out and to earn the favor of God. God, did I do enough? God, have I done enough? God, is this the way you want it done? And Christianity is about God reaching out to us. It's about God pursuing us. And when we come to that understanding, all of a sudden, something happens. And your questions, they don't go away. Please hear me. They don't go away. They just become smaller. And sometimes, in some cases, you, you get answers to the questions, right? I mean, some of you, you've come to a place where you have explored and you have answers to some of the questions, but you still have questions. And yet you trust. And I know if you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm on the outside of that thing and I don't know that I trusted Jesus. I don't know that I even believe in a God. And whenever I tell you that if you will come to the place where you be will begin to pursue him, you'll begin to turn towards him. He will reveal himself as the personal God that he is and that your questions will begin to shrink. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Lance, you're asking me to commit intellectual suicide. You're asking me to take my brain and check it at the door because that's what you think about Christianity. That's what you think about Christians. You think that all the Christians that follow Christ, that they just check their brain at the door and they come in and they play this game and then they go back out into the real world and try to live it. But the fact is, is that that's not even close to what it is because everybody that I know who has ever placed their trust in Jesus, they come in with questions, their questions shrink a little bit, and they sometimes even live with those questions, understanding that there is an answer within what God has for them. Something happens. Now, for some of the people here, this, this may be some of your story. For some of you, you came to know Jesus because there was some sort of tragedy in your life, right? I mean, you struggled with the whole thing. You, you were probably like I am. And, and, and I was at the point where I said, how can a book that was written 2,000 years ago affect my life? How can a book that was written 2,000 years ago ever even speak into the things that I'm struggling with? There is no way that that book could know what it is that I'm going through. And, and, and I remember struggling with all kinds of, you know, Jesus walking on water and, and, and David slaying giants. And I, those things just don't make sense. They're not a part of my life. And then something happens. A good friend of yours becomes sick. Or maybe a family member becomes sick. Or you lose a job. Or your relationship turns upside down. And you become desperate and you get to a place where you go, uh-oh, wait a second. And life is completely out of control, right? And it's in that moment that you begin, the God that you did not believe in, the God that you were questioning, how could God create everything that is within seven days? Now all of a sudden it goes to a different place. What can God do for me today? And God comes into that situation and he begins to reveal himself as the personal God that he is. And you feel his presence and your questions get smaller. And maybe it's not tragedy that brought you to him. Maybe it was the fact that life was completely out of control for you. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about an addiction, though that is a part of it. Because I, honestly, I think that all of us struggle with some form of addiction. If I could just be to totally truthful here. And, and I know that we've got like the big addictions. You know, you've got sexual addiction and drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And, things, and I'm not necessarily talking. I'm talking about the fact that we all have something in our lives that we really struggle with. And we wish with everything inside of us that we could conquer. And you know, right? I mean, you may be sitting there, I just wish I could keep my mouth shut. Right? You ever thought that? You, you, I mean, some of you have lost, lost relationships because you just can't keep your mouth shut. And there's a piece of you that says, God, help me to control this. Right? Because there's something inside of you that's just out of control and you can't get it. And that turns you, that leans you into God. 
And God shows up in those situations. And God, God begins to reveal himself in such a real and personal way. And your questions don't go away. They just become a little bit smaller. Or maybe it's not tragedy or it's not life out of control. Maybe you just decided one day to pick up the Bible and to read it. Maybe you were dared to read it. Maybe, you know, you were at a Sunday school class or maybe a friend of yours or maybe a girl that you were dating or a guy that you were dating said, you know what, you ought to just read this. You ought to go to church. You ought to check it out. And you began to read the Bible. And as you read it, something in, in there just sounded right. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes at memorial services, I'll read John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I look out there at the crowd, and very often the crowd is filled with people that really don't believe. But they've walked up and they've shown here, shown up here because, because out of respect for the person that passed away. And it's interesting because at memorial services, we, we, we come to the place where we understand our mortality, right? We, we understand that we're going to die. And I'll, I'll, I'll quote John 3.16, and I'll look at everybody and say, isn't there something that just sounds right about that? So you pick up the Bible and you read it, and it's interesting. God knows you. Isn't that weird how you can open it up and it, it speaks to you, your situation? And you can fight it and you can say, ah, oh, that's just not true. But the fact is, is that God is speaking to you. It's like he's whispering in your ear. Or maybe it's not the Bible. Maybe it was a song that you heard on the radio or a movie. Or maybe you know somebody, they just ooze Jesus. Right? They just drip Jesus. Every time you get around him, you go, man... There's something, I know other Christians, and well, I don't want anything to do with them, but there's something about you. And that draws you in. And the thing about it is that your questions don't go away, they just shrink. So for the next few weeks, my goal isn't to answer all your questions. I don't think I can. I, I, you can come to me and you can say, the reason I'm not a Christian is because of all the suffering in the world. And I can sit down with you and I can explain what it is that I see about suffering and what it, why we have suffering and everything else. And I can even give you books from scholars that answer the question about suffering and everything else. And you can sit there and you can go through everything and I could attempt to answer that question adequately. But that still isn't going to make it to where you become a Christian and you have a personal relationship with Christ because the thing that separates Christianity from every other form of religion, from every religion, really, is that it's a personal nature. It's a personal relationship. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, Lance, I hear what you're saying, and I get all of that, but there is no way that I'm going to check my brain at the door. There is no way that I am going to come to him, and, and I'm just going to let go of my, my, my questions. I'm not asking you to do that. But I am telling you, when it becomes personal in your life, when something happens, when you meet that God that knows you, that loves you, that pursues you, something happens inside and your questions get smaller. Let me give you an example. Prior to me meeting Lisa, now please hear that because last night I said the same thing and I had so many people looking, Lisa was there and had so many people looking over at Lisa and going, I can't believe he's saying all this stuff. So just hear me say, prior to me meeting Lisa, I had all kinds of concerns about getting married. It wasn't that I didn't want to get married. I was 26 years old. I was ready to get married. I, I, I knew that. But everybody that I knew, I wasn't quite sure, is she the one, right? I mean, there, there's the commitment question. Do I really want to be committed to just one person? And what if I get committed to this one? I give her the ring, and then all of a sudden, a month later, I find somebody else. Now I'm in trouble because I've already committed to over here. So it's this huge commitment struggle that I had. And then there's the whole question about freedom, right? 
I mean, those of you that are guys here, you, you probably understand this. You know, there's that part of you that says, you know, I can get up and I can go and I can do anything that I want to do anytime that I want to do it. And I don't have to worry about being accountable to anybody. I just, it, just go. And I knew that whenever I enter into and I, I bring somebody new into my life, now all of a sudden I have somebody else that I'm accountable to, somebody else that whenever I get ready to go someplace, she's going, where is it that you're going and how long are you going to be gone and when are you going to be back? And I have all these questions. I can't just go. So I had a question about freedom. And then there was the question about, it's just too expensive to be married. I can't even pay for myself. I can't buy myself a happy meal. I had, I, I had a, a, a job that was paying minimum wage, and there was just no possible way for me to be able to bring somebody else into my life and say, hey, guess what? I'll pay for you too. So there was the question about it being too expensive. And then there's the whole thing about, I knew too many people that had unhappy marriages. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a product of two different divorces. So I, I went through both of those situations where I watched my mom, brokenhearted, go through bad marriages. And what if? So I had all kinds of objections and all kinds of questions whenever it came to marriage. But when I met Lisa, something changed. You know what it was? I fell in love. It became personal. My questions didn't go away. I mean, they're still there, but they don't seem to matter. Does that make sense? And something happens whenever you meet the personal God. Now, I know, I know, we, we've spent an awful lot of time, and th this, is, this is the intro to this series, and I just want to, I want to kind of lay it out and let everybody see that I get it. I want to acknowledge the, 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 the obstacles that you have and the questions that you have and to, to even say it's okay to have those, but have them and come to him because God is not a category that you can take or leave. God is a person and he loves you and he cares for you and he has pursued you consistently. You know that. That's part of why you're here because he pursues you. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at a story in, in the scripture. This, this is a situation where Jesus is the very beginning of his ministry, and Jesus is, is he's, he's adding to his number. He's, he's bringing in the, the 12, those that would become the 12 apostles, and he's, he's going through the, the region, and he's asking them, hey, would you follow me? And he, up to this point, he's already went up to Andrew and Peter and asked Andrew and Peter to become followers, and then he comes to another person, and he asks them to become a follower as well. And this is where he's adding one more to it. And as we read through this, I, I want you to hear hear what I just said. In other words, all the stuff about the, the, the questions and is this possible and everything else, and then the personal nature of when we meet Jesus, how those questions seem to shrink. So the scripture that we're going to look at is John chapter 1, verse 43. John chapter 1, verse 43. Verse 43 says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. That's the area where Jesus grew up. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Now, we don't have any idea who Philip is at this point. Right? I mean, I, I love the way John writes because John writes as though we, he assumes we know. 
And, and I think there's a good reason for him to, to assume we know because the, this particular gospel was written towards, it was probably written 50 years after Jesus' uh, uh, death, burial, and crucifixion, this particular gospel. And, and, and that means that there's a lot of life that is gone and a lot of people know the stories of each one of these individual uh, uh, apostles. So whenever John just refers to him and says he met Philip, it was, it was like, I assume you know who I'm talking about. But for those of us that don't know anything about Philip, it's a little bit struggle for us. And he just says, he found Philip. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Verse 44, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael. I like that. So in other words, Jesus comes to Philip and he says, Philip, I want you to follow me. And Philip says, okay, I'll follow you. Because he, maybe he had been watching Jesus. Maybe, maybe he, he, he had been listening to what Jesus had to say. And he made the decision, you know what? I think there's something different about you. I want to follow you. But as he's following Jesus, he begins to think, I have a really good friend that would really enjoy this as well, right? I have a really good friend that, that is interested in the Messiah, and he goes and he finds a friend of his in order to tell him. So he says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Now, you need to understand what's being said here, because this is huge because up to this point, all of the Jews in that particular region, well, all of the Jews everywhere, they were longing for, they were looking for, they were waiting for the Messiah. And Philip shows up to Nathaniel and he says, Nathaniel, I want you to know we found the Messiah. And I can just see it. Nathaniel's looking at him and going, okay, wait, wait, wait. It's been like hundreds of years since Moses wrote about this. Hundreds of years since the prophets have written about, about, about the Messiah coming. And, and uh, Philip, I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of Jews that have given up on the Messiah ever showing. So, so, so Philip, I hear what you're saying, but more than likely you didn't find the Messiah. More than likely you found one of those other people that were pretenders. And, and I love it because Philip's sitting there going, no, 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 we found the one that Moses spoke about. And then listen to what he says, because this is so cool. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, for most of us, we read that and we just read over it and it doesn't even really apply because we don't really see. But this is the place where it kind of gets tripped up. You know, Philip goes and he is trying to convince Nathaniel that the Messiah, that they found the Messiah. But as he introduces the idea of the Messiah, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And this is the place where we begin to see that Nathaniel's a lot like you. He's a lot like I am. He's a skeptic, right? I mean, he's looking at this stuff. And he says, whoa, 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 I have a real question about this situation. Because look at, look at what he says. He says, as we go down, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, that's a legitimate question. Basically, what Nathaniel's saying is that, okay, I'm not even sure that you have even found the Messiah, but if you did find the Messiah, there is no way that the Messiah came out of Nazareth because nothing good comes out of Nazareth. And we don't know exactly why Nazareth had such a bad rap. We, 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 don't, we, don't, know, we don't know why, why people were looking at it and looking down at it. The only thing that we know as scholars is that, is that as you take a look at the stories of Nazareth, is that there, there are some, t some writings where people are saying bad things about people that came from there. And it was just a small hole in the ground village. It was a nothing place. So it's almost as if Nathaniel's saying, okay, Philip, 
If you said that Jesus came from Jerusalem, or if you said that Jesus came from Bethlehem, if you said that Jesus came from Jericho, if you said that Jesus came from one of those larger, bigger places, then I might be, have a tendency to say, okay, that's, that's the Messiah. But he came from Nazareth? And that's kind of like somebody going to somebody else that has Ebola and saying, I found the person who has the cure for Ebola. You did, yes. He lives in Mossy Rock. And he discovered it in his lab, in, in his shed. And, and everybody starts to think to themselves, whoa, 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 wait, wait, OHSU, Houston Medical, one of these big situations where they have, they, they have you know, scientific labs, maybe that's where they would find the cure to Ebola, not in Mossy Rock. We just wouldn't expect that. So when Philip shows up and says, we found the Messiah, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel says, I got a real problem with that. There's no way that he could be from Nazareth. I'm not moving beyond this place until we get that thing settled. And Philip at this point, he does something that really is pretty wise. See, Philip could have sat down and said, okay, so Nathaniel, your struggle is that he's from Nazareth, right? Yeah, that's my struggle. Okay, okay, so then... Nathaniel, let, let's sit down and let, let's make a list of all the reasons that he could be from, Nathan, from, from Nazareth and all the reasons that maybe he couldn't be from Nazareth. And let's try to figure out if we, can, if, if we can somehow figure out, could the Messiah come from Nazareth? Could we answer that question? And yet that's not what he does, does he? Look what Philip does. Nathaniel says, Nazareth, how can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Come and see. Whoa, 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 Philip, Philip, you, you don't understand. I have a legitimate question. I have a legitimate hang-up. I have a legitimate obstacle, a legitimate reason why I should not believe that this man is the Messiah. You need to stop. You need to come back here, and you need to answer this question. And Philip says, no, 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 come and see. No, I don't want to come and see. I want you to answer my question. Listen, listen, Nathaniel. You come, you see. If, if you still have that question after you meet him, you can ask him. Because I can't answer the question. I can't make this thing go away. I can't make it to where you say, oh, I get it. But when you meet him, you'll know. You'll know like I know, right? Some of you are in the room and you've been followers of Christ and you know. And whenever you talk with people, <clears throat> sometimes you make the mistake that Philip didn't make, and, 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 and you sit down and you try to argue with people about stuff, and, and you're not going to win them that way. You were one because you met Jesus, and you knew. So Philip says, come and see. Come check it out. Then listen to this, verse 47, and this is so cool, because if you're one of those if you're one of those people that really have obstacles or questions or uh, intellectual hang-ups about Jesus, about Christianity and everything else, I love this. Listen to this. It says, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, or he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Some of your translations may say, in whom there is no guile. Literally what Jesus is saying is that here comes a guy who isn't going to pretend if he has questions, he's going to bring them up. He is honest with himself and with those around him. And see, Nathaniel's taken back a, a, a little here. 
And Nathaniel's walking up to this guy that Philip had just said. He just met them. He, he just heard about this guy. And Philip has said that he's the Messiah. And, and Nathaniel shows up. And I think that even in that conversation, Jesus looks up at him and says, Hey, Nathaniel, how are you? Here comes a guy that is without guile. Here comes a guy that is, that, that is without false. Basically, what he's doing is he is, he, he's affirming the questioning attitude of Nathaniel. He's saying, it's okay. It's okay to be questioning. It's okay to be that person who doesn't just fall for it. Bring your questions here. I love that. And then listen to the way Nathaniel responds. How do you know me? See, all of a sudden it became extremely personal, didn't it? See, Jesus of Nazareth went from a category, he went from a maybe Messiah to, oh my goodness, I've never met you, I don't know you, but yet you know me. How do you know me? It became very personal. And then listen to what Jesus said. This is so incredible. Jesus said to him, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Most scholars believe that what, he is, what he's talking about there, it wasn't so much that I was walking down the road and I saw you sitting over there and I knew who you were. Most scholars believe that, see, the fig tree is, is, is an image of prayer. It is an image of, I saw you as you were over there lounging under the fig tree, talking with your heavenly father. And Nathaniel, I want you to know that I heard that. That's amazing. Jesus became extremely personal. See, those of us that are followers here, the reason you're a follower is because he became very personal to you. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. Those of you that aren't followers and you're still struggling and still having obstacles and questions and everything else, I get that. But like Nathaniel, come with your questions and see what it is that he'll do. See how he'll open the door. Look at the way Nathaniel responds. Verse 49. So Nathaniel looks at Jesus and he says, okay, now let's talk about this Nazareth thing. Is that what he said? That's not what he said, is it? Why didn't he say that? That was a legitimate question before, wasn't it? That was a big deal. I can't follow Jesus because I don't believe that, he's from, that, that the Messiah could be from Nazareth. But when he, became, when he came to know Jesus in a personal way, his question didn't go away. It just shrunk. Look at this. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, we have no indication, no indication that Nathaniel ever got his, his question answered. I bet you it's still hung, though. I bet you it was still there. I bet you he met other people who said, Nazareth, how could anything come good from, from, from Nazareth? And I bet you he looked and said, I know I thought the same thing. Come meet him. Come get to know him. It'll blow you away. See, we, I love this. The scripture indicates, it's so funny because I know as a non-believer, you think that the scripture is all about this blind faith, just jump. And the scripture seems to say that, no, 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 it's not about that. Don't check your brain at the door. Don't, don't explore your questions, but don't allow your questions to keep you from knowing him in a personal way. Come to him with your questions because he's not a category He's a person, and he loves you, and he knows you, 
and he cares for you and he pursues you always. And you know that. If you're here today and you're struggling with God, there's something inside of you that says, you know, I know he's been pursuing me. Oh, man. Right? In Matthew chapter 22, some, some, some people came to Jesus and they, they, were, they were trying to trip him up. And they said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Isn't that, that's a great question. Isn't that a great question? I mean, if you could ask God, what's the one thing you want? And Jesus looked at them and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. See, Jesus doesn't discount the mind, but he does say it starts with the heart. That's the way all relationships start, right? They start with the heart, and then we get to know. If I had said, you know what, Lisa, I'd like to marry you, but I got to find everything out about you first. I got some real big questions about you. I still wouldn't be married, and she probably would have moved on. But it began with the heart. I fell in love with her. And that's what, when it comes down to it, God, he wants you to know him more than he wants you to have all the answers to your questions. Bring your questions. But as you bring them, they'll get smaller. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to commit. Would you commit? Commit for the rest, rest of this month. I'm going to be there. Man, every, every week I'm going to be there. If, you, if you're struggling with God, just come. Hear what it is that God's word has to say. And those of you that are believers, and that's the vast majority of you here, I'm going to ask you to do two things for me. For one, would you pray? Please just pray. Pray every single day, every single moment that you think about this. Pray for this month. Pray for those that attend. Because we have so many people that attend Valley, and they attend here because they like it here. They like the people here, but they just don't really know. Would you pray that God will get a hold of them? And then the second thing, would you invite people that you know that are struggling and just say, hey, come and see, right? Just, would you play Philip? Just come and see. Come check it out. See what God will do. It'll amaze you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you take out your card, your little connection card? And if you'll take that out, and, and, and some of you, you're already a part of a home group, so you've already checked that, and or you, you, you've, you've checked that months ago, weeks ago, whatever. Some of you, you need to do that because you want to be a part of a home group. But some of you are here today and you would say, I want to know more about Christ. And would you check that box? It, 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 it says, I'm making a decision today. Or no, it, it, it says, I'm praying today that, that God will reveal himself. Would you, would you check that and just let me know that you're praying? And then would you begin to pray this week and, and next week and all this month? God, reveal yourself to me for I want to know you more than I know the answers to my questions. Would you do that? And then just place it in the offering place that comes by. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you, God, for this incredible opportunity for us to be able to come and, and to start this new, this new series. Lord, I, I am so excited about this. I'm excited about what you're going to do. And I pray that, God, through this, there would be many, many people who would surrender to you. There would be many people who would cross that line of faith, many people who would come to you, not leaving their questions at the door, but bringing their questions in, but pursuing you and knowing you and loving you. For God, you're a personal God who knows us, who loves us, and who cares for us. Thank you. For God, we ask all this in your precious name.
Amen. We have found the Messiah. That's pretty good stuff. Really good. The one who would die for our sins. And earlier this morning, we sang about that we don't have a name. We're not called by our failures or our inadequacies. We're not named by God for the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us or places we've been. But we're just a child of the one true king. And this is a song we introduced last week that just talks about second chances. And the reality is that even as a child of the one true king, we still fail and sometimes pretty miserably, at least if you're anything like me. And if we just come to the Lord and confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My future hangs on this. You make preciousness from dust. Please move. Stop creating me. Your blood offers the chance to rewind to innocence. Reborn. Perfect as a child.
for this morning. We ask your blessing upon this offering. Thanks for the opportunity to give the work of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.